Hey guys, thanks for checking out episode 406 of Not Sam Wrestling. Look, if you want to uh, uh, help the show out, first of all, just listening to us every single week helps the show out. Make sure you're subscribed and you download every single week on whatever platform you're listening on. If you're listening on Spotify, you can leave us a five-star rating. On Apple, you can leave us a five-star rating and a nice review. It really, really helps. You can get video content uh, that we're posting every single week over at youtube.com slash notsamwrestling. Subscribe to that YouTube channel for free. And if you want to contribute and you want to get a little more content, become a Not Sam shill over at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. You'll get a, a bonus episode every single week. You'll get video of everything that we do here in the Not Sam studio. You can watch us record the show live. Whatever you want. You can be a part of the Discord. You can be a part of Zooms. We did a watch-along while SummerSlam was on. It was a lot of fun. You could have been there, but you didn't sign up. If you want to sign up, go to patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. If you don't want to sign up, just listen. Today on Not Sam Wrestling, we are a week into a new era of sports entertainment, professional wrestling, whatever you want to call it. And coming off of SummerSlam, we've got a lot to discuss. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling, episode 406. It's a new era. We'll talk about that new era in just a minute. I mean, it's an amazing era regardless. I, you know, I, I think that, that you, you, there's no way that at the end of 2022, you won't say that 2022 was the most newsworthy year in the history of professional wrestling. Because one could argue that just as we've hit the 1st of August, it is already the most newsworthy year in the history of professional wrestling, and we're only two-thirds in. I mean, it has been so insane, everything that's been happening, and I'm not even talking about the fact that there is a new person with the pencil in WWE, a sentence that I don't think anybody ever thought you would hear. Not not in the lifetime of this podcast, certainly. But even more so. I mean, it, it was occurring to me last night as I was watching Ric Flair's last match that there's a lot of reasons, that a lot of things are happening in wrestling right now that we would have thought we would never see. Like the, like the last match of Ric Flair at the ripe old age of 73 years young or... <laughs> The revival of Jim Crockett promotions, because that's what it really was. Uh, I did watch the show. I wasn't sure if I was going to. I did turn it on just to see what Conrad Thompson and the boys had had uh, figured out for us. And immediately, immediately when I turned it on, I was like, I get this. I get it. And I applaud Conrad and every single person involved in involved in in producing that show, Ric Flair's last match. First of all, you know, it's funny because I tweeted something about it. And of course, and so I'm sure Conrad has been dealing with this the entire time he's been promoting it, getting nothing but like, you know, how can you do this? If you like Ric Flair, you can't be watching this. This is awful. He looks terrible, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I got it, right? Obviously, I got it. To me, 
I'm 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 here's Rick Flair's retirement match did not happen this week. It didn't happen this month. It didn't happen this year. Rick Flair's retirement match happened in Orlando, Florida at Camping World Stadium at WrestleMania 24. Shawn Michaels looked at Ric Flair in the face. He said, I'm sorry, I loved you. Then he shoved his boot into Ric Flair's face, sweet chin music, pinned him for the one, two, three. And Shawn Michaels ended the career of Ric Flair. That was the end of the career of Ric Flair. However, I am, I have, and maybe I've evolved to this point. I am of the mindset that professional wrestlers are allowed to have an epilogue. I think if anyone is allowed to run until the wheels fall off, it's professional wrestlers. And I think that as, as fans, we should be smart enough people that we understand that the end of a career is the end of a story, right? I, I would say that, that Ric Flair's story realistically is post-plane crash. It's, it's, it's Nature Boy, right? Big fat Ric Flair who is running around, you know, th that's not the Nature Boy. Ric Flair, the Nature Boy, shows up in the early 80s. And his career is one large story arc. And that story arc concludes at WrestleMania 24 when Shawn Michaels says, I'm sorry, I love you. That said, once that artist is done painting that picture, and when I say that picture, I don't mean that match. I mean the bigger picture. I mean Ric Flair as an artist painted the picture that was the Nature Boy's career. I think he's entitled to run a couple of victory laps if he wants to. Everything that Ric Flair did in TNA and Impact Wrestling was victory lap. Had nothing to do with the career of the Nature Boy Ric Flair. What Ric Flair did last night in Nashville, Tennessee, victory lap. Nothing to do with the career of Ric Flair. He's not the only one. I, I mean, Mick Foley. Mick Foley was in the audience for Ric Flair's last match. Not his career-ending match. His career ended at WrestleMania 24. But for me, I'm the biggest Mick Foley fan ever. I own, right behind me here in the Not Sam studio, I own the green flannel that Mick Foley wore at WrestleMania 2000. That said, Mick Foley's career, 1,000%, ended a month before WrestleMania 2000. That flannel that I am the proud owner of is a flannel worn in a match that was part of the epilogue, that was part of the victory lap, that was part of the postscript, the PS, if you will. No, Mick Foley's career ended at No Way Out 2000 in the Hell in a Cell against Triple H. And some victory lap matches and epilogue matches will be better than others. I would hate to live in a world where the Randy Orton Cactus Jack rivalry doesn't exist. I would hate to live in the world in a world where the 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 WrestleMania 22 Edge versus Mick Foley match doesn't exist. Of course, but the, his career was already over. His career was over 
when he had those matches. If Michael Jordan were to play a game of basketball now, yeah, he played a game of basketball, but his career was over. Now, as fans, we have to be smart enough to know when that career is over. You talk about Michael Jordan, he announced his retirement, He did, and then he came back a year later after playing baseball. When he announced his retirement, he was not retired. He said that. He lied. He was wrong. He was totally incorrect. Randy Macho Man Savage loses a career-ending match at WrestleMania 7 to the Ultimate Warrior. That wasn't the end of his career. I mean, I, I don't know exactly which match would be the end of his career. I, I, I But it would probably just be his last, his actual last match. He doesn't have that poetic last match, I don't think. But... It's beyond just saying this is a career-ending match. This is my retirement match. This is whatever. It's, it's you know, you know it's the conclusion. The character has concluded the story that this character was put on Earth to tell. And the Nature Boy Ric Flair's story concluded at WrestleMania 24. It always has, it always will. Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels' career concluded at, which one was it? WrestleMania 26? Yeah, 26, right? 27 and 28 was Triple H, 29 was CM Punk, right? Yeah. Yeah, 30 was Brock. Yeah, Triple H's, uh, I'm sorry, Shawn Michaels' career ended at WrestleMania 26. He wrestled another match. I mean, we don't really talk about that, but he did wrestle that match, right? Triple H and Shawn Michaels versus the Brothers of Destruction happened. Epilogue. Victory lap. Doesn't matter. Postscript. It happened after his career. He had another match. Big deal. So, I don't think pro wrestling, especially being what it is, that... You can disrupt those stories. You can choose to be disrupted by those stories, but once the story's written, the story is written, right? The beauty of it is, if you, the Godfather 3, if you hate the Godfather 3, it didn't ruin the Godfather 1 or Godfather 2. You can just stop. Don't acknowledge it. Godfather 3, I mean, that's just another movie. It just happens to be called Godfather 3, but I don't watch it. It's like Back to the Future. If, if they announce there's a Back to the Future marathon on like, you know, one of the movie channels or something, or it's streaming on Netflix and I go, yeah, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch Back to the Future. Uh, if I'm watching Back to the Future on one of the streaming services, right? And then uh, he goes, uh, we got to go save your kids, Marty. And then Marty goes, what, they become total assholes or something? And they go, road? Where we're going, we don't need roads. Back to the Future part two is coming. If the Netflix thing comes up and it says Back to the Future 2 starts in 10 seconds, I go, you know what? Let's let that run. Let's do Back to the Future 2. Let's continue this story, okay? I'll watch Back to the Future 2. And then they go like this. To be concluded. And if the Netflix clock says Back to the Future 3 starts in 10 seconds, I go, that thing that says to be concluded, that's a lie. The movie ends at Back to the Future 2. Sorry, I don't need to see Doc Brown go back to the Old West. Nope, not going to happen. And that's fine for me. Part three 
being a worthless movie doesn't ruin the fact that Back to the Future Part 1 and Part 2 are both perfect films. I'm fine with it. Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park has two out of six. I believe that there's like six Jurassic Park movies. Two of them are great. Both of them are the first movies of the trilogies. Just watch Jurassic Park and then Jurassic World. And then all the sequels, both sequels to both those movies, utter trash. And that's fine. That's fine because we got the first one. No problem. So for me, watching Ric Flair, have I, have I argued my point? Watching Ric Flair go out there at 73, while you may not want to see it for other reasons, it certainly doesn't disrupt the storytelling for me that happened at WrestleMania 24, which was perfect. Perfect. But I watched, right? And I go like, what is this? Why is this? And as much as it was just this like, look, we are lucky enough that we live in a world where the legend, Ric Flair, the nature boy, is still out there being the nature boy. He should be celebrated and he wants to get in the ring. So why the hell not let him? Well, I mean, his heart doesn't work for one thing. Oh, big deal. Let's just let him. Okay, look, if Ric Flair wants to throw a party and in that party, he wants to have a match with Jay Lethal and he happens to invite 5,000 of his closest friends and puts it on pay-per-view, I'm buying the pay-per-view, okay? So I don't mind Ric Flair throwing himself a party and jumping into a tag match. That's Ric Flair's prerogative. But it goes beyond. This wasn't just a pay-per-view, in my opinion, uh, that allowed us to celebrate Ric Flair. I'm not even gonna say say goodbye to Ric Flair. We said goodbye to Ric Flair. WrestleMania 24. And then he had this amazing ceremony on Raw the next night. Like we say goodbye, I wasn't sitting there going like, oh, when will we ever say goodbye to the legend? We said it. Like, you know, they say like you should let people uh, get their flowers while they can still smell them as opposed to leaving them on top of their coffin. I don't think there's a better example of a person that's gotten every flower he has coming to him than Ric Flair. Uh, but while he's still smelling, you might as well keep giving them to him, right? But even more so, even more so than a last match for Ric Flair. To me, it was a celebration and a grand farewell to Jim Crockett Promotions. I thought that everything from the aesthetic of the arena, the way it was shot, the production of it, the commentary, the booking, everything, everything felt very old school without being hokey, right? It felt old school, but done in the modern era. And it it felt like, okay, like we, we said goodbye to Ric Flair under the context of this great story told in the WWE. But what if, what if in the modern era, Ric Flair got one more match for Crockett? the place where Rick really became the nature boy, the place where Rick really made his bones. What if he got one more shot to be the nature boy for Crockett? What if Crockett got one more shot to be in front of an audience? What if the superstation came back for one night? That to me almost was bigger 
than the Ric Flair part. I think you have to call it Ric Flair's last match because, you know, Ric Flair at 73 having his last match is the marquee name that's going to get people in. But realistically, what I watched was a love letter to Jim Crockett Promotions. I thought that the, the show used Ric Flair to get you in. But the reality of what that show was, was a love letter to Jim Crockett Promotions. And I think anybody that grew up on Crockett had to be watching that with just a, a wonderful nostalgic lens to look through as they watched the show. I thought they did a great job of putting that on. And yeah, I mean, I watched and at multiple times in the match. I was worried that, you know, Ric Flair was going to go full Randy the Ram Robinson, going to go full Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler. Is his last name Robinson? Was going to go full Mickey Rourke, jumping off the top rope. We never hear from him again. You know, I mean, he he left it all in the ring without hyperbole. But, you know, all's well in... He left on his own two feet. He's going to go nature it up. Everybody got to celebrate him one more time. Look, I mean, you're sitting there. First of all, let's give props to Double J, okay? The fact that at Jeff Jarrett's age, at Jeff Jarrett's station in the game, Jeff Jarrett can still go out there and work with Andrade and Jay Lethal, who Andrade and Jay Lethal are two of the best active professional wrestlers in the world. And Jeff Jarrett can hang with them. That's amazing, okay? And you look in the front row and they're to watch Ric Flair's last match in person is Bret Hart, The Undertaker, and Mick Foley. When I watched Ric Flair cutting that promo after uh, winning his match, made the kid do the job for him on his way out. Of all, I mean, that real, you want to you wonder if Ric Flair is a true villain or not. Made the kid do a job for him on Ric's way out. But like, watching Ric Flair cut his promo and seeing Bret Hart, Mick Foley, and The Undertaker behind him, you're literally staring at Mount Rushmore. You could make the argument that that's your Mount Rushmore. And I go, okay, we can have that conversation. I'm not throwing you out of the room for it. Amazing. Amazing. And then the entire roster of GCW shows up to high-five Ric Flair, looking like they're Sam Roberts trying to sneak into a scene in a documentary, you know? <laughs> I thought it was great. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was fun. Uh, and a fun way to cap off uh, what was a, a big weekend for, for, for professional wrestling. But it's been a big week for professional wrestling. Hey, forgive the interruption for a second, but as summer is starting to wind down, I really thought I was going to have some time to myself this summer, but I've realized that I am busier than ever. That's why I use services like Factor, because I got to save time and Factor is going to save you time and hopefully save some pounds from collecting on your gut. That's what I do, right? I will like, if I'm inundated with work or if I've got a whole bunch of stuff to watch or whatever it is, I'll either skip a meal or pass by a drive-thru. And when I do skip a meal, it means I'm going to have a really heavy dinner. Like that's what I'll do. I'll have like something for breakfast and then I'll skip eating altogether during the day. And then I'll realize two hours before bed, oh, I better consume about 4,000 calories. You don't want to do that. Factor makes it 
easy to have a real diet, like a real human being. They allow you to function. See, with Factor, a quick lunch or a fully prepared dinner is only two minutes away. These heat and eat meals are a lifesaver for weeks with no free time. Factor's new Protein Plus preference makes uh, makes it easier to power up with deliciously satisfying meals and at least 30 grams of protein per serving. That's a big deal for someone like me. I'm trying to lift weights these days. I got to make sure my protein intake is what it needs to be. Choose four to 18 meals per week. Pause, reschedule your deliveries anytime, whatever you want to do. These chef-crafted recipes are packed with restaurant-quality flavor, and everything is dietitian approved Stop spending your precious hours at the store and in the kitchen. Let Factor deliver ready-made meals right to your door. Each Factor meal arrives pre-prepared by their team of chefs. They're ready to heat and eat in two minutes. Vegan, veggie, protein plus, keto, calorie smart, everything. They have cold-pressed juices, smoothies, energy bites, extra protein, veggie sides, and more. Head to go.factor75.com slash NotSam130. Use code NotSam130 to get $130 off across six boxes. That's code NotSam130 at go.factor75.com slash NotSam130 for $130 off. Save some money, save some time. Don't get fat. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When we last left you here on Not Sam Wrestling, as the Not Sam Wrestling world turns, when we last left you, I recorded a podcast where I spent the vast majority, I mean, the whole top story middle section of that show was who are the potential people to take over WWE creative? And four hours, four hours after the podcast dropped, the podcast was available for listening for four hours before the WWE announced that Triple H had assumed all creative duties, uh, leaving the entire conversation uh, moot and worthless. So any of you that still listened to my podcast last week, hats off to you. If you listened within the first four hours of publishing, I appreciate that, and I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope it made you wonder, hmm, I wonder what they'll do. But if you were one of the people that listened in the last uh, 20 hours and six days, then God bless you for hanging in there with me and still finding me interesting enough 
to uh, go hypothetical on a conversation that we already had the answer to. Yes, the answer ended up being Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Triple H takes over the creative duties of Vince McMahon. Triple H is now fully in charge of talent relations and creative for WWE. And I mean, this you talk about a, a, a legacy. You talk about something that was written in the stars and something that I think people saw coming for years and years and years and then saw slipping away. That's how fun this year has been. You know, in the, in the in the soap opera that we all have in our heads of of what's going on, the the live action version of Succession that we see happening in front of our eyes, we thought that maybe just maybe the thing that Triple H had 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 so masterfully put himself in contention for was slipping away from his fingertips like sand going through an hourglass. We thought that as we 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 witnessed the black and gold of NXT be stripped away and paint slatter take take its place. We thought that 2.0 really meant tough shit. Triple H, this thing ain't going to be yours cuz we're taking power away and people panic People panicked. People had just gotten used to the idea of Triple H being the perfect guy for the job. Because, you know, back in the day, back in the dizzle, Triple H was was hated by the internet wrestling community. When the internet wrestling community was really its own community. See, now, internet fans of wrestling, I don't know what that means because I would have to imagine that the vast majority of wrestling fans have access to the internet as the vast majority of people have access to the internet. But back in the day, 20 years ago, before the vast majority of of people had access to the internet, uh, Triple H was loathed. Triple H was the scapegoat. Triple H was the person that, that, that the insider wrestling fans blamed for stopping people's pushes and 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 there was a supposed and politicking triple h had a he was he had a reputation for politicking and we all knew that when somebody wasn't getting everything they were owed in wwe well that must be that nasty triple h going behind the scenes again and mucking up the works trying to trying to make things better for himself See the story goes that that and 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 this is why if there's anybody on the planet that could possibly take over the inhuman job and when I say inhuman I don't mean inhumane I mean a, a, a job that no human being you would think would be capable of that that being the job of Vince McMahon from a creative perspective in the WWE if there's anybody that could take that over, you'd think it would be 100% Hunter Hearst Helmsley. The story goes that 20 years ago, when Triple H uh, tore his quad, that he was out of action for eight months, and 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 it was a tough eight months for Triple H to be out of action. Triple H was just getting 
to this place as a superstar where he had finally, finally found himself. Triple H showed up to the WWE in 1995. He had had been in WCW in 94 as Terra Ryzen and then uh, joined the Blue Bloods. He was teaming with Steven Regal, I believe, as as, uh, Jean-Paul Leverque. He's French, you know, he did a terrible French accent, but he took that Jean-Paul Leverque, which I don't think anybody realized his name was actually Paul Leverque, but Jean-Paul Leverque took that kind of blue blood character and became the American blue blood so he wouldn't have to do that ridiculous French accent from Greenwich, Connecticut, and a character that was literally designed to make fun of Vince McMahon's neighbors who Vince thought had their heads up their asses was Hunter Hearst Helmsley, the Greenwich Blue Blood. And he came to the uh, World Wrestling Federation and his tights looked like uh, like almost not like, like riding pants, not chaps, but like horse riding pants. And he wore a red jacket with tails to the ring and he had his hair in a ponytail, but it wasn't in a hair tie. It was in like a ribbon. His beautiful mane of blonde hair, so, so eloquently and 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 richly quaffed and he came to the ring and he had his 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 big nose up in the air looking down at the people who he thought were below you would curtsy when he got to the ring this was hunter hearst helmsley and of course one of his first major rivalries was against a hog farmer henry o godwin they would end up having a hog pen match this was a time, this is 1995. This is the new generation. This is when WWE was still trying to figure out how their world of human cartoons come to life exists in the 90s where that that culture has kind of moved, that people have moved on from that. Triple H, uh, he ends up, uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley be friends in real life backstage. A group of guys, Shawn Michaels, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall. And I mean, these three, Shawn Michaels, Kevin Nash, and Scott Hall, already in 1995, are clearly three of, if not the three best professional wrestlers in the industry. So there's no arguments. We'll say three of the best professional wrestlers in the industry. And when they came together, they were able to wield a certain amount of power. They were able to 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 call their own shots uh, to a certain extent with Vince McMahon, and they 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 worked together. And, and Triple H joined them, and Sean Waltman, the One Two Three Kid, joined them, and they all they all came together, and they were this group that, that called the Click. And some people loved them, and some people hated them. And 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 Hunter Hearst Helmsley, he he was rising up the roster and rising up the roster, and he was learning. And he was learning. And, and every time, he didn't drink, you know. Sean loved to party. Scott Hall liked to party. One, two, three kid liked to party. Triple H didn't really drink. And he would go on the road with these guys. Diesel would have a cocktail or two. But he would learn. They'd get in the car and Scott Hall would just talk wrestling. Sean Waltman would just talk wrestling. HBK would just talk wrestling. And he would learn and learn and learn and learn. And he would get better and better and better. And he started going up the card and going up the card. And of course, you know, the fact that he was learning and the fact that he was associated and kind of getting, you know, the 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 okay from some of the top dogs in the locker room couldn't have hurt. 
So he gets penciled in in 1996 after about a year in the WWE. He's going to go ahead. He's going to win the King of the Ring tournament. Hunter Hearst Helmsley is going to be the king of the WWE. And, and there are rumor is that once he became the king of the WWE, he'd be a villain and he would go on to have a, 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 a rivalry with Shawn Michaels. So we'd see, you know, babyface world champion Shawn Michaels versus heel king of the ring Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Would that have drawn money in 1996? I don't know. We'll never have to worry about it because it didn't happen. See, in 1996, the curtain gets uh, 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 drawn back. In 1996, a house show happens at Madison Square Garden. It's the last match of Shawn Mike uh, of 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 Scott Hall and Kevin Nash in the WWE. Diesel and Razor Ramon are going to WCW, and there's a there's a a match between Shawn Michaels and Diesel. Diesel's a bad guy at that point, headlining Madison Square Garden inside a steel cage. Earlier in the night, Razor Ramon, who was a good guy, had had a match with bad guy Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Of course, they're all friends backstage, but we're not making that public. It's 1996, for God's sake. However, at the end of that match, Shawn Michaels beats Big Daddy Cool Diesel and the two embrace. And then Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, a good guy, enters the cage. And Hunter Hearst Helmsley, a villain, enters the cage. And the four of them embrace. And the four of them take a bow. And the four of them perform what is now known as the curtain call. And there's lots of rumors about the fact that Vince McMahon may or may not have okayed it on the night that it happened, but it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. A lot of people didn't like that they were exposing the business. A lot of people thought they were going into business for themselves. This was a very selfish thing that they did. Triple H, well, he found himself in a bad position because Shawn Michaels wasn't going to, get punished because Shawn Michaels didn't get punished. Shawn Michaels was the WWE's poster child and well, Shawn Michaels just didn't get punished for stuff. Kevin Nash and Scott Hall were leaving the company. So what are you going to do to them? There's no punishing them. They're going to a different school. Hunter Hearst Helmsley was the one who was still in school and he wasn't a senior like Shawn. So he was getting punished. Just like that, Hunter Hearst Helmsley had the king of the ring crown taken away from him. They said, Hunter... You're going to have to learn to eat shit and like the taste for a little while. We're not putting the crown on you. And what did they do instead? They put the crown on Stone Cold Steve Austin, who uh, went and after winning the crown, cut a promo with Doc Hendricks, where he announced to the world that uh, Austin 316 says he had just whipped Jake the Snake Roberts' ass. Uttered the words Austin 316 for the first time because he had beat Jake the Snake Roberts in the King of the Ring final, the Triple H was supposed to win. Hunter Hearst Helmsley he had to sit back and watch as he was relegated to the to a mid-card position and Stone Cold Steve Austin started to skyrocket off the position that he was originally promised. Now, of course, a year later, Hunter Hearst Helmsley was given the opportunity to become the king of the ring in the WWE, beating uh, Mankind in the finals. And 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 he would go on to, I mean, Mankind would be, in my opinion, one, one of, if not his best opponent. I mean, he would go and he'd fight Mankind again at the uh, 1997 SummerSlam. Uh, and then they go on. And obviously, as I mentioned before in the episode, he would end uh, Mick Foley's career at No Way Out 2000. 
But the difference between 1997 and 2000 is stark. Um, because 2000 is when Triple H starts to finally find, like, gets fed up with eating the shit, right? I mean, he's done being punished. He's not still being punished for farewell to the click. He's not still being punished for the curtain call. That was, that was months. That was, you know, within a year that was over and he was allowed to, to get over as much as he was going to get over. But by the time Triple H found himself ready to achieve certain stardom, well, unfortunately, that dance card was getting pretty full because The Rock was on the roster and Stone Cold Steve Austin was on the roster. Mankind was on the roster. The Big Show was on the roster. There's a lot of people on that roster. And Triple H said, I don't care. It's time that I make room for myself. And in, at the Royal Rumble 2000, he had an incredible match with Mankind. I mean, Cactus Jack, I guess. No Way Out 2000. He beats Cactus Jack. WrestleMania 2000. He goes to the main event in the Fatal 4-Way. And we're rocking. And we're rocking. And a year after, Triple H is finally at this position where he's the man. He doesn't want to hear it from anybody. We get to a year later. We get to WrestleMania 17. Stone Cold Steve Austin turns on The Rock and becomes a villain. And what does he do as a villain? Well, Triple H confronts him. Raw after WrestleMania, I can't believe what you did. Stone Cold says, you got something to say about it? Triple H says, yeah, I do. Everybody's like, Triple H is going to be a baby face. Triple H says, partner. Everybody goes, no! And the two-man power trip is formed. The most devastating tag team that the WWE has ever seen. The two-man power trip just starts decimating everybody. Except not for very long. Because just as Triple H is in this position to be a part of the two-man power trip, just as Triple H is in this position to assert himself as an equal to Stone Cold Steve Austin, in a freak accident, Triple H's quadricep rolls right up his leg. And Triple H is out of action for eight months. So what is Triple H going to do for those eight months? Well, he's going to rehab. He's going to play the song A Beautiful Day by U2 over and over and over again. But while he's not, you know, doing squats, he's got to do something else. And the story goes that he started shadowing Vince McMahon a lot, that he started, you know, going to to Titan Tower. And, and, and he, be, he had become, by that point, obsessed with every part of the business. He grew up a wrestling fan but he was obsessed with every part of the business. And so he's, he's, he's figuring out like, like why, not only what decisions Vince McMahon makes, but more importantly, why Vince makes those decisions and, 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 and the nuance of the decisions that are made, the decisions to use a certain camera angle, the decision to use certain language. And I don't mean F-bombs and S-bombs, I mean championships instead of belts. I mean certain names being used. He starts to get into <coughs> he starts to get into that entire world. Excuse me. And 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 he starts to like it. He starts to like it a lot. And and he becomes that guy. He he develops that communication with Vince. Now, around the same time. His 
he develops a, 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 a personal relationship with Stephanie McMahon. The two fall in love. They fall in love. And well, while they've already gotten married on screen, a lot of times this happens, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Brad Pitt, Angelina, they're like, man, it is fun pretending to be husband and wife on screen. You know what we should do? Actually be husband and wife. What do you say? And where Brangelina said yes, so did Triple H and Stephanie McMahon. They tied the knot. Triple H became the son-in-law. And when Triple H was in the son-in-law, was, was, was in the son-in-law position, that's when the world started to go like, oh, he's just getting himself over. Because at the same time, his in-ring career wasn't even close to being done. His in-ring career was only heating up. But the internet was heating up too. We started to know, or think we knew, every little detail that was going on behind the scenes. So every time Triple H won a big match, we knew it was because he was cozying up to his father-in-law and he was putting himself over. Right? I mean, that was the narrative that was going on for a very long time. And I think to an extent, Triple H uh, on screen played into that narrative. He would end up going heel. I thought, you know, when, when he, when evolution started, and Triple H shaved off the beard and let, let you know, some annoying sideburns grow in, in and started feathering his hair and said, okay, if you guys are going to hate me, I can really make you hate me. And it worked. And by the way, didn't do such a bad job of getting Batista and Randy Orton over either. Talk about a group that was able to get over a young generation, make them superstars. Batista and Randy Orton are literal icons of the WWE. And I think that that, that is where we get into Triple H. See, Triple H, uh, it's really interesting because when NXT came around, right, Triple H started to do more and more and more behind the scenes, more and more and more behind the scenes. And he took over developmental. And he took uh, Florida Championship Wrestling and he, and he turned it into a product called NXT and developed something called the Performance Center. That it, it was a giant warehouse with seven rings in it where they would uh, train. And, you know, he had fallen in love with so many different aspects of the business. He said, what if we trained? What if we trained superstars in every aspect of the business? What if we built smaller versions of what our television looks like? so that they were ready for it when they got there. What if we could create the superstars of tomorrow today? And that was the goal of NXT. And from the beginning, people liked it. There wasn't a time when people didn't like NXT, right? And, and that was when I think things started to turn with the perception that fans had for Triple H. I think that, 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 we as fans had the opportunity to see so many of his positive contributions to the business. And I think that the more we saw Triple H with NXT, the more we saw how much Triple H loves professional wrestling. We love professional wrestling. If you're listening to this podcast, you love professional wrestling. I love professional wrestling. And we know when somebody likes professional wrestling, we know when somebody's involved for the money and we know 
when somebody loves professional wrestling. And that's what we got from Hunter Hearst Helmsley as NXT started to grow. Triple H was the one who really flipped the script on what we thought a WWE superstar would be. See, because what 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 I, I think ended up happening was once the developmental process started to become a little bit more public, once we started to become aware of Ohio Valley Wrestling and Florida Championship, and I think it was it was the Batista, Brock Lesnar, John Cena. It was that early 2000s class because tapes started to float around of what they were doing. And we started to get a feel for exactly the type of superstar that the WWE was looking for and looking to create. We figured it out, right? And so we thought we had it all figured out. And so what happened was, as the independents started to boom and, and companies like Ring of Honor and Pro Wrestling Guerrilla started to do really, really well and put on these incredible shows, smart fans like us would say, that guy is my favorite wrestler. He'll never be in the WWE because there are wrestlers and there are WWE superstars and that guy's a wrestler. Triple H was the guy that said bullshit because Kevin Owens was one of the guys that you would see in PWG and in Ring of Honor and go, God damn, he's my favorite wrestler. He'll never be in WWE. Samoa Joe is a guy that you'd see in TNA, in Ring of Honor, and you'd go, that's my favorite wrestler in the world, and he'll never be in WWE. El Generico would be in PWG, Ring of Honor. Love that guy, my favorite wrestler. People don't even get how good he is. He'll never be in WWE. Finn Balor was tearing it up in New Japan Pro Wrestling, and people's Prince Devitt is my favorite wrestler in the world. He's better than anybody. And he won't, he'll never be in WWE. He's not their type. Kenta, everybody. Tyler Black. John Moxley. All these guys that you would sit there, AJ Styles, that you'd sit there and you'd go, they're just not a WWE guy. And Triple H was the one that said, let me see what I can do. And created a generation of stars from it. Brian Danielson. Let me see what I can do. And an entire generation of stars came from it. And when Triple H really started to get his hands on it, it was after uh, the Tyler Black, John Mox. It was, it was that Kevin Owens era. When you were looking at guys like Finn Balor and Kevin Owens and those guys who weren't even changing, Samoa Joe, weren't even changing that much about what made them great, just adding to turn them into WWE superstars. And now you look at people like that, like Kevin Owens, Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, Finn Balor, and these are guys who had expansive wrestling catalogs and extreme pedigree before pedigree ironic it's triple h before getting to wwe they were so i know who this guy is this is how i associate him and now everybody that i just mentioned with the exception of maybe samoa joe because he's not there anymore 
But when you see them in a WWE ring, you don't go, oh, that's an outsider in WWE. You go, that's WWE superstar Kevin Owens. I, oh, yeah, I forgot he wrestled outside of WWE. Oh, that's WWE superstar Sami Zayn. I forgot he used to wear a mask. That's because of Triple H. Of Triple H's ability to see talent that's good and go, yes, we want to bring what you do here. Do you mind if I add this to it? And boom, we're off to the races. You know, I, I think then people go, okay, well, that's that's talent. That's that's figuring out, figuring out how to acquire talent, right? Okay, all right, he can he can get talent. That's why he's in talent relations. Cool. What about creative? What about creative? Because there was a long run, a long run. When NXT TakeOver was the best show in wrestling, NXT TakeOver became the best show in professional wrestling. And every weekend that you'd have an NXT TakeOver run before a WWE pay-per-view, people would go, yeah, SummerSlam was good, but did you see TakeOver? And I'm telling you right now, because I was there. I was there. I went to both locker rooms. It's when they used to book me on uh, main roster pre-shows too. I would go and I'd go to that NXT locker room. I'd go back to the same building the next night, go to the main roster locker room. And they go like this. What's up with this takeover show? What's up with this takeover show? Everybody was talking about it. And it wasn't just because there was interesting talent on it. It was because they had figured out how to do compelling matches, compelling stories, and put on shows that people not only blew their minds for, but deeply cared about. And that was Triple H. Why don't you look at SummerSlam? Look at SummerSlam and look at, look at who was standing in the ring in the women's division. Look at the star power standing in the ring in the women's division. Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch on one side of the ring. Two of the biggest superstars in women's wrestling today. And they were staring down Bailey, the superstar now known as EO Sky, and Dakota Kai. And you know what I see? Five superstars that, that demonstrate the generations of female talent that NXT has produced all developed under the watchful eye of Papa H. It's incredible. It's incredible what this guy has already done. Because he loves this stuff. And he does it because he loves it. He loves wrestling. We're in good hands, okay? Whether you, regardless of how you feel about him, Nick Khan. When you really think about the money that WWE has brought in over the past few years, I mean, they're profitable on another level right now. And that's because Nick Khan is a boardroom beast. Nick Khan can get on the phone with you and talk you out of your life savings. Nick Khan makes deals, okay? Nick Khan has come in, and we as wrestling fans should love this Nick Khan. Because as wrestling fans, 
We should put an absolute premium value on this thing that we love more than anything, pro wrestling. And that's what Nick Khan does. He goes, oh, WWE's catalog? You want to rent it? How about a billion dollars? How does that sound? And NBC goes, all right, I'll do it. Boom. Welcome to WWE on Peacock. And yeah, you might have loved the WWE Network. I did. I also like being on Peacock. And I like knowing that the WWE has a billion dollars because it means they're going to stay on TV for a long time and going to be able to do a lot of cool shit. Because when you got money, you can do cool shit. And that's the point. You got a guy who's the man when it comes to bringing money in. You got a woman who grew up with this company, who used to model rockers t-shirts, who's worked in every conceivable part of the company, who understands how this company works, that's going to be able to keep the company together. And then you got a guy in charge of talent and creative that loves wrestling like we love wrestling and has a track record like Hunter Hearst Helmsley does? Get the fuck out of here. What a beast. What a beast. And you know, if you have any doubt, I tweeted out this clip. You know, they were doing a, a, a thing in Nashville, you know, a, 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 a tryout in Nashville. And uh, Triple H uh, was, the, was, was there, you know? And so they asked him, um, I'm looking for my tweet right now because I tweeted it out. Uh, they asked him, or, or I think Ariel Hawani was the one that asked him about his perspective now. And his quote was just so good off the cuff and it wasn't corporate. It just sounded like him. And it's like, how do you not get behind this? Here it is. Listen to this, dude. You're asking, I feel great. Um, you know, gl glitch, glitch in the road. Luckily for me, um, it was caught, right? And, and um, it, it took a little bit to get, to get over it, to get past it, but I'm past it. I'm over it. I got a clean bill of health. I'm 100%. I'm very aware of all of it. I'm very aware of really what's important in your life and your family and, and everything else. Um, but I love this business. And, uh, you know, for me, I, I approach it a little bit differently now. I, I, I realize there's actually this thing called sleep that every oh. now and then you can get. Oh. It's really helpful. Good, good advice for all of you, right? Like, don't be afraid of sleeping. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm back. I'm 100%. I'm ready to go, and I'm ready to tear through this and try to put on a big pair of shoes. But like I said, can't really fill, but you're gonna, we're all going to do our best, and we're going to make, make this thing j just go to places it's never been before. So consider This is a guy, okay? who understands life. This is a guy who understands that life isn't just one thing, but whatever the thing it is that you're doing, grab it by the balls and do it to the best of your ability. This is a guy that understands that, yeah, you got to give everything to the thing that you're doing. But if you're not going to sleep at night, you're not going to be able to get up in the morning. That if you're not taking care of yourself, right? You're not going to be able to do what you do for very long. If you're not keeping your family close, you're not going to be able to have the, the peace of mind that's going to allow you to creatively come from the, from the place with the most light imaginable. I mean, this is a guy who has come out of an emergency room understanding life.
This isn't a guy who's like, oh, I thought for a second I wasn't going to be able to run WWE. This is a guy who thought for a second I'm not going to be able to run. This is a guy who thought for a second I'm not going to be able to hug my daughters again. This is a guy who thought for a second I'm not going to be able to get out of bed in the morning. I'm going to die. And he's come out of that. And that's the Triple H that we get. The Triple H that has that perspective is the one who is now running our show. I'm optimistic, bro. Obviously, you can hear it in my voice. I'm excited about it. I'm optimistic. I think it's going to be a hell of a thing. Whoa, I think it's going to be a hell of a thing. Hey, we'll be back to it in a second. But if you haven't already heard, it's smooth sack summer, baby. When you're playing in the summer sun, make sure you're escaped from pubes to bum. That's right. This is the summer to keep your balls cool while still looking hot with Manscaped. The leader in below-the-belt grooming is making sure we all have a ball this summer by giving our pants partners everything they need to stay fresh. Dive headfirst into smooth sack summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code NOTSAM. I'm talking about the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 where you'll find the, the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the weed whacker ears and nose hair trim, trimmer, the, the crop preserver ball deodorant, crop reviver toner, performance boxer briefs, a travel bag. You know that lawnmower 4.0 trimmer? Cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. And thanks to their advanced skin safe technology, the lawnmower 4.0 has seven thousand rpm running through that motor and a new multi-function on-off switch that can engage a travel lock it's incredible and it's waterproof too now that you have the perfect haircut how about manscapes liquid formulations to keep that freshness even at the hottest barbecues i'm talking about the crop preserver ball deodorant to stay cool in the heat everything that you need and it's all 20 percent off plus free shipping if you use the code NOTSAM at manscaped.com, that's 20% off plus free shipping with code NOTSAM at manscaped.com. It's smooth sack summer, boys. Get on board or get left behind. Hey, let's get into SummerSlam real quick. SummerSlam was the first big pay-per-view of the uh, post-Vince uh, Triple H era. I want to call it the Triple H era. You know, the post-Vince era just doesn't, Put it on Triple H. I know it's not all Triple H because, you know, Stephanie McMahon, Nick Khan, like, and there's an army of people running WWE. But still, we look at the creative, right? And the, and the wrestling brain that's behind all this. So uh, a lot of people picked up on a lot of commentary changes that went down uh, at SummerSlam, not in the talent themselves, like meaning different commentators, but just the freeness, specifically of Michael Cole, you know? It's really interesting. Coming off of SummerSlam, all of a sudden, everybody's realizing what a legend Michael Cole is. And I'm like, yeah, dude. Like, it's so funny. Everybody thinks I'm such an idiot. But, like, all the things I say on my podcast end up being true. If you just listened to the show, you wouldn't have to get shocked two years later when you figure out I was right the whole time. It's very seldom that I'm 
wrong from a big picture perspective. I might not be able to predict every match on a pay-per-view, but when I lay out a philosophy or point out somebody's uh, uh, aptitude for this business, I mean, I'm usually pretty on the money. Yeah, Michael Cole's been a legend for years, dude. Michael Cole's the fucking goat at this thing, okay? Like, deal, you gotta deal with it. I know you didn't grow up with him. I know, whatever. He's the, he's the goat. Sorry, it is what it is. And you're gonna figure that out. And guess what's gonna happen? Everybody's gonna go, Michael Cole's the goat. And I'm gonna go like, you remember when I said that before? And they're like, bro, you never said that before. You said that thing about Bianca Belair. I'm like, great. Thanks for the selective memory, asshole. Um, <laughs> Michael Cole was great on commentary at SummerSlam. That's the point. Um, they also took a lot of time to put people over that weren't on the pay-per-view, I found. Um, video packages being played for Charlotte, for Kevin Owens, Drew McIntyre coming out to do that promo. I thought it was great. I thought it was really, really good. Uh, like I said, Bailey coming back with Dakota Kai and EO Sky. That's uh, going to be a barn burner. I'm glad that Becky Lynch... Uh, Went babyface. I think that uh, we've been waiting for that. I think that, and I'm glad that Becky Lynch went babyface. I'm glad that Ronda Rousey turned heel. You know, I said that if you listen to the uh, Patreon podcast that went up before SummerSlam, that's where I wanted it to go. You know, I want to get to a place where we can do a WrestleMania with uh, Becky Lynch and uh, uh, Ronda Rousey and have it be a babyface heel match. Ronda Rousey should be a heel. Becky should be a babyface. That said, who knows? Maybe Bianca Belair is the woman for Ronda Rousey at WrestleMania. I don't know yet. We'll have to uh, we'll have to wait and see. Um, I thought it was cool that uh, Theory went down hard. You know, I, that's the beauty of having a heel. Having a heel with the Money in the Bank briefcase as opposed to a baby face. You know, the fact that Liv is now getting to tell a story as champion, as a baby face. Perfect. Theory is getting to, he can lose matches, but he's still a threat. He can still tell his story because he's got the money in the bank briefcase. He could be the champion anytime. Perfect. All good. I was like, oh shit, is he really going to cash in in this last man standing match? But he didn't. Logan Paul is, I mean, if you were surprised that Logan Paul is a great athlete, uh, you must not have been watching WrestleMania, but he uh, certainly, if you thought that was a fluke, he made sure that uh, you weren't going to cast any doubt on him. I do think that he's going to uh, got to learn some wrestling psychology. The Miz was doing a hell of a job slowing him down. I think that was the only thing for me about Logan Paul was that, uh, and he will. I mean, it's a second match. I'm nitpicking here, you know. I just feel like he's so good that you want him to be like a six-year level pro at this point. But he will be. He'll get there. I just think he was... Uh, you know, like when you watch like a, a guy doing his first film, when, he, when a filmmaker is doing his first movie, he packs in everything that he's ever wanted to, to be in a movie that he made. And it's too much. When the movie comes out, it's a well-made movie, but there's just too much in it. You should have held some of it back. I thought that Logan didn't have to do as much as he did in that match. That frog splash though, bro, from the ring to the outside, unbelievable. I'm ready for more Logan Paul. And the stuff he was doing was athletic and good enough that people did cheer him. So we'll see how that goes. I don't know if that's going to work in promos, but it did in the match. Um, 
Edge returned, wasn't surprised. Flame and Staircase looked badass. Uh, awesome, awesome, awesome. Made sense. Hey, Pat McAfee, I mean, you want to talk about it natural. How about a guy who twice, at least twice, if not more, almost fell off the top rope and was able to catch himself? Also, props to Baron Corbin. Happy Corbin for for being right there with him. I just, those two worked beautifully together. I thought it was a great match. And, you know, Pat's just, what a value Pat is. I hope, I, I hope he, he, yeah, Pat's, Pat's a tremendous value. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, the spectacle of the main event, right? You want to go like, are we really going to do another Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns match? Well, what if I told you Brock Lesnar was going to take a, a a tractor and tip the ring over with it? Yeah, okay, I'm down for that. Awesome. Just an awesome visual. That's what you want. Just an awesome visual. Paul Heyman catching the F5 going through the table. This is badass. I don't know. I mean, I sit there, and I said this on the Twitter spaces. Uh, I don't know how you can justify anyone facing Roman Reigns at this point. That's why it's almost like I want the title to be taken off of him because who could beat him? Like, it doesn't make sense. If I'm watching what I'm watching, who could beat him? Because it's not just that, oh, there's always interference. There's always... Well, he's a villain. It's okay that there's interference. There's not always interference, but sometimes there is. Here's the thing. When there's not interference, his wins are so goddamn dominant that it's like, okay. And also, you know, the guys that he's fighting, if you're paying attention to the story, would be able to beat anybody else regardless of interference, right? He still kicks out of F5s. It's Roman Reigns, for God's sake. Um, but realistically, it's like, how the hell are you going to convince me? It took Drew McIntyre 30 minutes to beat Sheamus. How the hell are you going to convince me that Drew McIntyre can beat Roman Reigns? How are you going to convince me? I'm a fan. How are you going to convince me that Drew McIntyre can beat Roman Reigns? Because from where I sit, there's no conceivable way that as good as that Scottish warrior is, that he could even come close to conquering Roman Reigns. Nobody can beat him. It's impossible. Hogan's going to have to come back. Somebody, because I don't see it happening. I don't see how it's possible. How it's humanly possible. We're at 700 plus days. You know? Let's go. So yeah. Speaking of Twitter spaces, I was all over the place. If you want to see more uh, Sam Roberts, uh, for free, by the way. Uh, well, I guess it's not for free. You got to have a Peacock subscription, right? But um, I was, if you go through my tweets, uh, it was like uh, one of the things I tweeted, I retweeted it on uh, Sunday night. So you can just go to Twitter slash not Sam and you can see it. Myself, the great Ryan Popola, and the incomparable Wade Barrett. Bad news, Barrett. Uh, we did a, a Twitter spaces and we spent about an hour breaking down SummerSlam the three of us. And I mean, it's basically just a podcast done live on Twitter. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. I love doing those things. Wade Barrett is just, he's just so good at talking about wrestling. So definitely check that. If you like this podcast, you want more insight on SummerSlam, myself, Popola, Wade Barrett, talking SummerSlam, go to Twitter spaces. You can find it. It was for the WWE account. 
So if you scroll through WWE's tweets, you'll find it too, but it'll probably be easier to find it off mine. I tweet less than they do. Uh, you can also um, go to the WWE's YouTube channel and you can find they did a 22-minute video covering Comic-Con this year. And uh, you can see clips of not only the Mattel panel and the meet and greet with the panel had The Undertaker on it. The meet and greet had myself, Champa, Cody Rhodes, Zelina, um, and then Champa and myself going through the entire WWE Mattel booth and showing all their new product and everything. It's really a great video just showing kind of the the weekend that I had there. It was so much fun. Uh, so you can see that on WWE's YouTube channel. And then over on Peacock, this week on Friday, I was on uh, SmackDown Lowdown. And I mean, it was Soundbite City on SmackDown Lowdown. I, I was very happy with my uh, with my appearance on SmackDown Lowdown. So go, if you get a chance, watch SmackDown Lowdown. Uh, Jackie Redman, the co-host, obviously, and Matt Camp was chiming in from Nashville. Uh, you can also watch The Ultimate Show, Ultimate SummerSlam 2, Summer of Stipulations, where myself, Matt Camp, Ryan Popola, and Kaz... Uh, well, we, what we did was we each picked three stipulations that have happened at SummerSlams. And then we put together, uh, an, a, a fantasy booked SummerSlam card with each of those matches. So there was a blue bar steel cage match. There was a boiler room brawl. There was a match made in heaven. And then as usual, the last half of the show, they gave me the pencil. I'm the triple H of that show. Uh, and, and basically fantasy book the entire card that we just made. It's a really fun show if you haven't seen it before, but check that out. Ultimate SummerSlam 2, Summer of Stipulations. Then there's a new show on Peacock and the WWE Network hosted by uh, Game Over Greggy, Greg Miller, called This Is Awesome. Uh, it's basically just like a nostalgia talking head show, but uh, I'm a big part of a bunch of the segments. So they have me on there talking about like, Honky Tonk Man and the Ultimate Warrior and and a bunch of stuff. So go watch the first episode of This Is Awesome on Peacock and uh, and WWE Network. Also over on the Not Sam Wrestling YouTube channel, uh, Marsh, who's one of the top uh, Not Sam shills at patreon.com slash Not Sam Wrestling, edited up uh, an amazing version of the... Uh, Liv Morgan monologue that we did a couple weeks ago here on the podcast. So watch the video version of that. Beautifully edited with a ton of photos and everything uh, by Marsh over at youtube.com slash wrestling. I appreciate you guys. We'll see you next week. Don't forget to email us. I didn't get to any emails this week, but if you have any thoughts on the Triple H stuff, the Ric Flair stuff, SummerSlam, hit me with an email, wrestling at gmail.com. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam Wrestling.